chapter 5 here in the book of Ephesians. If you want to turn there, we'll pick up the first five verses here. And a study that I've entitled, The Real Deal. Now, I don't know, how many of you have had in your inbox, in your email, those wonderful little offers that you can buy, like, $5,000 watches for 10 bucks. <laughs> you know, you can get a Breitling Orbiter for twelve ninety-five, and a, you know, a Rolex and all those kind of things. And just to let you know, they ain't real. You know, they're made by some, some folks on the other side of the Pacific Ocean, shipped over here in a box. They're not real. And the way that you can figure that out is you start to look at all the parts, and it's like, yeah, that's not a real Rolex. And then there's that dead giveaway made in China, or Chine. That's French. Not the real deal, is it? Here we begin to apply these wonderful principles, and Paul goes on now to speak into our lives that it's so important for us to be the real deal, to be genuine, to be like Christ. And so he begins by laying out these amazing principles for us in a single sentence. And before we dig into the Word, let's ask Him to enlighten us with this truth. Father, we are so grateful. Lord, thank You for giving us the privilege of being able to study and read and hear. And God, just to, to be able to be here together as the body of Christ, would You this morning speak to us as Your people, instruct us in righteousness, help us to grow. We ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Verse 1 here in Ephesians 5, and therefore, it's looking back, and it's looking back really to two principal things. It's looking back at those things that we find contained in the last couple of verses. We're supposed to put away bitterness and anger and wrath. We're, we're not supposed to be like we used to be. And therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us, an offering a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you. Let it not even be named among you. As is fitting for saints neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, no unclean person, no covetous man, who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And so this admonition pulls us forward into this picture of us being imitators of God. What we know about God, we know because we know it through Jesus. Amen? That's how we chiefly know who God is, what God is, how he functions. We don't know everything, but we know a lot of things about how God functions. We know that he's holy. We know that he's righteous. We know he's eternally kind. 
that He's generous, that He's always loving, that, that you and I are the recipients of His blessings. We, we know so much, and we know those things principally because of what we know about Jesus and how Jesus conducted Himself. And so the word imitators here is a Greek word, and it means to mimic. And that word, when we think of it, it, it means to simply act out something you've already seen. We attempt to replicate and that's why those watches, you know, they're an attempt to replicate a Breitling orbiter. The only problem is the fit, the finish, the metals themselves, they're not the same, and it's fairly easy to spot. It's fairly easy to spot a Christian who isn't mimicking Jesus. We're given some ways that that can happen, even here in these verses. And so we also get our English word mime. And it's interesting when you think about a mime. Now, I happen to think personally that mimes are kind of creepy. I, I, I don't know why that is. It's something happened when I was a child, I'm sure. But, but when you see someone who is a mime, the whole essence of being a great mime is that you can say nothing and people get the exact meaning of what it is that you're doing, how you're moving, how you live. Can you imagine if every Christian was a mime of Jesus, so that you would have to say nothing to anyone. They would simply know that you are like Christ because of the way you conduct yourself. Every move you make, every breath you breathe, every word you speak is an imitation of the King of Kings and of the Lord of Lords. Can you imagine the impact we would have in our world? Living, breathing imitators of Christ. As dear children, this theme sets really the stage for the next 17 verses. And as you think of these things, now most of you, if you're here today and you have children, you have both the positive and the negative application of what's being said here, as dear children. Because as dear children can be really good or really bad. I'll never forget, so long as I live, my son Brandon was eight years old, he's in the back seat, uh, it was at, you know, at that time right to where you're transferring over between car seat and booster seat, and he's back there in the back seat, pounding on the back of my seat as I'm driving. Pull over, you idiot! <laughs> where did he learn that? <laughs> Sorry, God! You see, there's a negative implication of the things that we show our children. And they mimic them. They mime them. They follow us. The same is true for us as children as of God. We, we grow in Christ and all of a sudden we start to pick up what we have learned. And we get that from God's Word. We can mimic Jesus. We know about God the Father. Jesus uh, is. He walked it. He talked it. Lived it. And then, strangely enough, He left us in this world as His representatives. Amen? He said to the disciples, Okay, I send you out as, as lambs among wolves to the slaughter, but I'm sending you out as light into the world. I'm sending you as salt... You're preservative in this world that we walk in. I'm sending you out so that you can be me to people. 
doesn't mean you become Jesus. But as best as you can, as best as I can, we are to be like Christ. Amen? In every way, shape, or form. How you speak, how you act, what you do, how you conduct yourself, the way you give, the way you love, all of it either speaks of pull over or Jesus loves you and the patience of God and the kindness of God and the mercy of God and the love of God. And so he, he begins to lay these things out for us. And so we do become like uh, the Father by being like the Son. And when you think about who Jesus is and what Jesus is, we're going to see in the rest of this chapter, God is love. We walk in love. God is light and we walk as children of the light. And God is truth and therefore we walk in the wisdom of truth. There's an interesting thing that happens when you walk in truth. You don't have to change your opinion. Unlike politicians, amen? Right now, listening to the, what are there? There's 174 Republican candidates. I don't know how many, I think there's three or four Democratic candidates right now, but it's like, you know, every time they turn around, they're, they're saying something different about the same subject. There's no consistency. It's because it's not truth. Truth doesn't change. It's immutable. And so we can be and mimic Jesus. As I look at His character, as I look at His glory, His goodness, His grace, as I think about who He is, it becomes fairly easy. And we know what that doesn't look like, don't we? That's what we've been seeing in the last three studies. We know what dead people look like. He adds to that a little bit here in this passage as we begin. Let me help you understand something here. There's a reason there's so much negative example. Because we're not too bright at times. Amen? like, well, I didn't quite get it the first time, or the second time, or the third time, or the fourth time, or the fifth time. How many of you in here, and you've been walking with the Lord for a while, how many of you are still sinners? Every hand should go up. <laughs> Just saying. We're, we're, still, we're sinners saved by grace, but we're nonetheless still sinners. And, and so we, we still know how to mess things up, amen? And so the Lord is helping us here. And, and we need to understand, where in the world do we start in all of this? You see, that previous way of life, we saw that back in chapter 4, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving, as God in Christ forgave you. We need to put off the old man. But let me tell you something. You can't just put off, and you can't just put on, because to do one or the other leaves a void. Amen? You can put on, but if you don't put off, you're dragging around a bag of trash with you. Amen? And you can get rid of the bag of trash, and then you have nothing because you have not put on something new. You're kind of spiritually naked, if you will. And so we need to start somewhere. And where we start is, is this amazing place of being kind and tenderhearted and, above all things, in a practical sense, forgiving one another. Isn't that the hardest thing in the world to do? It's tough, isn't it? If you find it easy to forgive, come, come share some of your principles with me. Forgiving is hard to do, but it is so like Jesus, isn't it? 
It's the one thing that we all needed, amen? If you're in here this morning and you're going to heaven, you're going to heaven because you've been forgiven, amen? And so when you think of that, that's where you start. You've got to start by being kind and tender-hearted. That means to have your heart tenderized. Hard-hearted people don't get very far in their walk with the Lord because it ends right there. Because you cannot ask for what you will not give. You, you can't take your life and say, well, I, I want forgiveness and I want mercy and I want tenderness and I need to be just loved on. And then say, but not for you. And yet, don't we sometimes do that? Isn't that at times how we function in the world? And so where do we start? By being forgiving. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we as the body of Christ need to learn to let it go. We need to learn to let it go. And in saying that, I realize that there are things that have pained you to the core of your being. That there are maybe lifelong things that you've wrestled with and have hurt you and harmed you. It's not to dismiss those things, but it's to say that unforgiveness, when it turns into bitterness, will control you and eventually it will destroy you. You have to let it go. We start by being forgiving. In that way, we are so much like Jesus. When we really honestly forgive, it doesn't mean that our minds all of a sudden become completely freed from the thoughts of those things. That doesn't happen. You may still have uh, some thoughts that you need to deal with, but you put them in the that is forgiven category. Because unforgiveness binds us to the past. Did you hear what I said? Unforgiveness binds us to the past. And that's where the old you lives. The old you lives in the past. The new you lives looking forward to the future. Amen? So if you live in unforgiveness, you live with the old you. And I'm sure you have all met people, maybe you yourself are struggling this morning with unforgiveness. That is where you need to start. Because you can't carry that bag of unforgiveness into the glories of heaven. It can't go. It's not fit for heaven. You have to say, look, as far as it lies with me, I'm going to live at peace with all men. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be tender-hearted towards everyone, whether they deserve it or not. Because that's what Jesus did for us. We mimic Him. I, I, I learn how to be like God by being like Christ. Social scientists are very solid on this issue. But we're to be imitators. That's active, that's ongoing, that's continual. And as we think on those things, we're, we're actually taking on the characteristic uh, of the person whom we hang around with the most. And we see this, you, you can take, uh, we have a cat dog. 
our, our cat has been raised with two dogs, and so the cat thinks it's a dog. So when other cats come, it's just like, it's, it's, it's like this big. It's all tough, and it's just like, I'm a dog, I'm not a cat, go away. It's been imprinted with the nature of Labradors. And so it just runs around and thinks it's a dog. And the same is true for us. As a parent, you hope that your children pick up your good characteristics. Amen? Not your bad ones. So if you live out your good ones consistently and not your bad ones, guess which ones they'll pick up? They pick up the good ones. That's true for us in Christ. The more we hang around with God... The more we're in His Word, the more we're in prayer, the more we're in fellowship, the more we are around one another as the body of Christ, receiving that input, we're being imprinted with the nature of God. But you can have it the other way. And so he says here, make sure that you're walking in love. You see, here's the deal. Jesus actually, in complete fullness, loved you and me to death. Amen? He did. When we use that phrase, we use it kind of flippantly. Oh, I love him to death. Jesus actually did that for you. Literally. He loved his own life so much so that he died for you. He says, look, I want them to be like me, so I'll die for them. He loved you to death. Crazy when you think about it. Christ has also loved us. He's given himself for us. And notice what it says here. There's a couple of words that are used, an offering and a sacrifice. In other words, he's self-sacrificing in his all-sufficient way that he's loved you. There's two things there. An offering represents your possessions. Those are things that you give away. And a a sacrifice represents your person because in the Old Testament sacrifices, it was a sacrifice for sin that cleared up the mess between the Jewish people and God. So when this passage says that he is both an offering and a sacrifice, it means that everything that you have and everything that you are is covered by His forgiveness. And we're to be that with other people. Now, I I have to make a confession here. You know, my wife is... She's actually a professional seamstress. And so, I can't say that I'm forced to watch them, but occasionally I have to... I watch these shows, you know, like What Not to Wear, that's an old one, and say yes to the dress. I know... I know. And then I go watch Alaskan meat eaters that kill. It's a show I made up. But as you watch these shows, you see this incredible, so very often, just absolutely selfish, you know, it's just like it's all about me. And I want this, and I want that, and it's got to be my way, or it's going to be the highway. Look, we need to reinforce the point here. 
It can't be your way. It can't be my way. That's the old way. It's got to be the new way. It's got to be Christ in us, that hope that glory is going to come to each one of us who love the Lord. It has to be about Him. And so to reinforce this, he's saying, look, I'm going to show you what dead people look like again. But among you there must not even be a hint, and that word hint is the same word as tinge. It was used in the dyeing of fabric because white is white and red is red, but a little tiny white is pink. Amen? It's still not white. There can't even be a hint. There can't be one drop. There's not supposed to be any of the world visible. Now, the practical matter is this. None of us are perfect. And praise God that in His grace... The Lord loves on us in our imperfections. Amen? But I want to be really careful here because very often we begin to dumb down the character of Christ and we're no longer imitating Christ. We're imitating the world and hoping that we smear some Jesus on it. Amen? That don't work real well. That's why the church has lost a lot of its ability to minister in our culture is because we're not imitating Christ. We're kind of taking the world and we're smearing a little Jesus on it. And so we use the same language that the world use. We, we have the same basic problems. We're just, but oh grace, brother. Now let me say something to you very, very pointedly. By grace you have been saved through faith. It is a gift of God. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. It's free. But if you've received that free gift, the mess that is the old you ought to be getting to the new you. You see, the body of Christ is supposed to look like Jesus, talk like Jesus, act like Jesus, have the fragrance, notice our passage says, of Christ. We need to have a dog training uh, class every once in a while, amen? Amen. Because the old snarling Rottweiler that used to be you, if you have a Rottweiler, forgive me, I know they can be nice. No matter what dog I mention, German Shepherds, everybody think I hate German Shepherds. And that's not true. But there are some dogs that are a little more aggressive than others, amen? Nobody goes around, oh, a guard chihuahua. They got some attitude, those dogs. But if you have a big dog that's capable of doing some serious damage, you need to keep that power under control. There has to be some attention to the fact that that 200-pound dog could do some serious world of hurt. Can I tell you that that's a lot like your old man? It can also become something very wonderful. I have a friend who has a huge, like, 200-pound rod. It's a big old teddy bear dog. But he spent a lot of time training that dog to keep that temper under control. And the same is true for your old nature. It needs to be brought under the authority of Jesus Christ. It needs to be trained. It needs to be brought into submission to where it no longer looks like a snarling Rottweiler. It looks like the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Nobody's going to worry about it when there's that control because they can see in the eyes of your life through the window of your soul that you've been with Jesus. 
And it's so important for us to live this way. That's why it says there's not supposed to be a hint. Notice what it says. Not even a hint of that named among you. Now you know why the world doesn't want to listen on many moral issues that the church should be able to speak into because the church is guilty of the very sins that they're condemning. We need to do a better job of controlling the Rottweiler, amen? Need to maybe put the old nature back into another obedience class? How about that? Keep that beast under control. You see, because sexual immorality shouldn't be in the church. And yet it is. And it's not fitting Christ. Greed. People go into war over money. Can I tell you something? Some of the most disastrous times of dealing with people have come for me personally at some of the most joyous occasions. I have had people give death threats to other members of their own family at a wedding. I have had people serve another person legal papers at a funeral. That's what greed will do. That's what hatred does. That's what unforgiveness does. That's what bitterness does. That's what anger does. That's what malice does. That's what the old man does. It's a Christian event, and most of the people are Christian, but you have a tough time finding Christ. Oh, brothers and sisters, let it not be us. Let it not be us. And that's why he says, look, put away filthy language, impurity, it says all sexual sin, by the way. It doesn't pick on, it doesn't matter whether it's heterosexual or homosexual. You're not supposed to be doing that stuff as the body of Christ, period. That's why we have to take a stand on God-defined marriage. We take a stand on what he said, because we can't be inconsistent. We have to say, look, that's what his word says. And so we have to put out the right example of these things. We have to make sure... That we are habitually, continually mimicking Jesus and not the wrong example. Notice what it says in verse 5. For you can be sure that no immoral, impure, greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. Is that simple enough for us? Heavenly of God, is that simple enough for us? Does that mean that grace is not a free gift? Of course it doesn't. It doesn't mean that you have to earn your salvation by keeping some new set of laws. But it means if you are a child of God, you're supposed to be mimicking Christ, not the world. You're supposed to be a washed up, has-been sinner. You're supposed to be really bad at sinning, is another way to look at it. You're not supposed to be a pro-sinner. And yet a lot of Christians are pro-sinners. They figure out new deceptive ways to keep on sinning. It's like, well, we don't call it sin, we just call it liberty. You've met those people, right? Oh, yeah, bro, I'm free. Every green herb, man. God said it's for I'm not under bondage anymore. We're going to have our party this afternoon. We need to stop it. It needs to end. Because we are shaming the name of the Lord. We need to live like Jesus in every area of our lives. 
These things should not be named among the body of Christ. Paul makes it very clear that people who deliberately and persistently live lives of sin will not share in the kingdom. So you need to get over yourself with your liberty. You don't have liberty to sin. Paul addressed this in the book of Romans. He said, what then? Should we go on sinning that grace might abound? And he said, God forbid that that be the truth. We're supposed to live holy lives. Now, does that mean perfect? No. But that's what you shoot at. How many Christians do you know are shooting at a trash can? They're not shooting at heaven. It's like, well, if I'm just a little bit better than a dumpster, I'm good. You know, as long as it don't stink too bad. And I want to end this morning on, on just helping us with a little tune-up here. Because all these things, we've looked at them already. There's a doctrine that infiltrated the t- church during Paul's time, and it's known as antinomianism. Anti meaning against, nomos meaning the law, against the law. And the, the basic gist of that was that that day and time, grace was so cheap that you could just dump on it anything you wanted. That it was free. God gave it to us in freedom, and so we can just do whatever we want to do. Paul settled that issue in Romans chapter 6. That's what he was getting at. And you see, grace is free. But it doesn't free you to do whatever you want. It frees you to serve Jesus Christ. It frees you to have a new nature. It frees you to live a life that is free from sin. It doesn't free you to live a life of sin. It does exactly the opposite. We must live holy lives. Now, I'm probably bumming some of y'all out right now. But it's the truth. If Christ is going to be praised in our lives, then we have to mimic Him, not the world. And I'm sick to death of the broken marriages. Well, you know, my husband doesn't make enough money. Well, my wife gained three pounds. I haven't had a new car in almost three years. Really? What does that have to do with Christ died for your sins? We're to live like Christ, not like the world. The world says, yeah, valid. You have irreconcilable differences. That's another word for selfishness. That's what that is. I'm going to call it like it is. I'm going to speak it. And we need to stop following the world's example. Amen. Amen. This is a doctrine of demons. This is people doing what they want to do because it makes them feel good about themselves. And there is no verse in your Bible for that thought process. You are to be 
dead to the old man and alive to the new. You are to be a new creation in Christ Jesus and old things are passing away. We need to live our lives for Him. And so as we do that, that moral law that has been true since day one is still true. We're not saved by keeping the law, but because we have been saved, our lives should look like Jesus. We're supposed to have faith that works. Amen? And that working faith is a faith that says no to sin. God expects us to be moral, expects us to have integrity. He expects us to walk in love. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6 says, For we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. And the man who says, I, I know him but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, the love of God is truly made complete in him. For this is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked. You see, if we do that, then the world looks at your life, and the world looks at my life, the world looks at the life of the church and says, that's what Jesus looks like. The devil doesn't need any help, folks. The devil does not need any help. He's really good at deceiving. And so I would suggest to you that we be the real deal. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you. Oh, this would be impossible, Lord, without you, Jesus, without the grace that keeps us, the grace that saves us. Lord, we recognize that without grace we can do nothing. But Lord, in that grace, we have the power of the Holy Spirit to live righteous lives. And so, Lord, we invite you where we have issues. Lord, there's things that we're carrying around. They're part of that old nature. Lord, help us to forsake it. Help us to train up that old snarling dog of sin into a wonderful representation of the likeness of Christ. May that fragrance that trails behind us be the fragrance of Christ. Lord, would our lives match up with what your word declares about your children. Lord, we honor you, we bless you, we praise you. Lord, we are grateful for your goodness in our lives. And we pray that we would be good so the world can see our good shepherd. We bless you, we honor you, we praise you. And God's people all said, Amen. 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 Amen.